Welcome and thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Because of Grace with your host, Diana Carroll. Together, through discussions, interviews, and Diana's devotional insights, we will plunge into the unsearchable depths of God's abundant grace. It is Diana's hope that through Bible-focused teaching, God will grant hope to the hopeless and rest to the weary. Now, here's Diana. Thank you for joining me today. I'm Diana Carroll, and this is Because of Grace, a radio program to give hope to the hopeless, rest to the weary, and encourage those who are discouraged. It's where we can find strength when we're weak and hurting, all because of God's grace. Our theme verse is 2 Corinthians 12, 9, which says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Today, I would like to talk about love. What is the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear the word love? Do you think it's the funny feeling or butterflies when that someone special is with you or close by? The old 50s song says, it's a look, it's a kiss, it's a touch of the hand that makes you believe you're in love. Is love, is it love when a child says, I love you, Grammy, or I love you, Mommy or Daddy, and then gives you a big hug or kiss? Does that give you the chills or make you want to cry? It does me, and I have. Oh, such sweet love for sure. My husband and Jerry and I were in our 50s when the love bug struck us. I remember him taking my daughter, <clears throat> son-in-law, and of course me to the airport for us to attend a mission conference in Tennessee. Uh, before that time, we'd just been talking in church, uh, no dating yet. When we arrived at the airport, I had to run inside quickly. <laughs> I had used the ladies' room, and when I came out, Jerry was standing on the curb uh, with my suitcase there, and he said to me, I think you need to check the outside top pocket of your suitcase. So I did, and as I was checking, he walked around and got in the driver's seat of the car. I opened up the zipper, and there was a $50 bill in there, and I was, like, elated. I was a widow lady, and I had some extra cash to spend. So I bent down to say thank you, which I did, and he blew me a kiss. <laughs> I didn't know quite what to do, so I just turned around, and I walked really fast into the terminal, and my son-in-law, Steve, said, Mom, what's wrong? And I said, because my face was red, uh, I said, Jerry just blew me a kiss. Well, at that moment, Danae, my daughter, walked up to me and said, What? Who? Who blew you a kiss? What's going on? <laughs> I don't think she was real thrilled about any of that going on yet. We flew to Tennessee, and we got to our, to our rooms. We were in a, in a home of a friend, and I unzipped my zipper of my suitcase, and on the top of my clothes was a manila uh, envelope with two pairs of socks in it. Well, I knew I hadn't put it in there, so it must have been Jerry had slipped it in there. And in each sock was a $50 bill. <laughs> I told him later as we began to date and enjoy the presence of one another that he tried to buy my love, and it worked. <laughs> Anyway, we had a great time, and the beginning of our love relationship started then, and we were married soon, and now have been married almost 19 years. 
I'd like to read a verse which describes God's sacrificial love. John fifteen thirteen says, Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. I would like to share a brief summary of the novel, A Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens. I hope I don't give away the story if you have not heard it. The book tells the story of French doctor Alexander Manette, his false imprisonment in the Bastille in prison for over 18 years, and then his release to live in London with his daughter Lucy, whom he'd not seen all those many years. The story is set against the conditions that led up to the French Revolution and the Reign of Terror. The year is 1789. The peasants in Paris are storming the Bastille, and the French Revolution has begun. Monsieur St. Evermond was a cruel and heartless man to the townspeople, making him a target during the Revolution. Charles Darnay, one of the main characters of the book, was the nephew to Monsieur St. Evermond. Darnay cares about a servant of his uncle's named Gabelle. And despite the threat of great danger, Darnay departs immediately from England to France to try to rescue Gabelle. The revolutionaries are murdering aristocrats in the streets, and Sidney Carton, a look-alike to Charles Darnay, also has traveled to Paris because of the selfless love that he has for a woman named Lucy Manette, whom he loved before she became the wife of Charles Darnay. Darnay has been arrested and will be sent to the guillotine. Carton resolves to sacrifice himself to save Lucy's husband's life. He drugs Darnay and changes places with him, instructing that Darnay is carried out of the prison to safety. Carton dies in Darnay's place at the hand of the guillotine. Sidney Carton's final quote is as follows, It is a far, far better thing that I do than I have ever done. It is a far, far better rest I go to than I have ever known. Though this is only a novel, the truth of agape love is shown by the sacrificial giving of oneself for another without thought of love being returned. The true meaning of love as defined in biblical terms has been corrupted and stained in our English language. Most people that have said they are in love are really infatuated with what they think love may be. Is love really that touchy-feely sensation a person has when he or she grows familiar with another person? According to the Bible, love isn't what we feel, but what we do. The Lord loved us enough to die for us and, and pay our sin debt while we were sinning against him. This shows that true biblical love is not about emotion. God chose to love us, and his love was not based on our merits, our gifts, or on our good looks in any way. God doesn't love us because of what we have done or what we are doing. We are sinners. He loves us because God is love. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him, 1 John 4, 16. We love because he first loved us, 1 John 4, 19. What a wonderful truth for us to behold. 
the God of the universe, loved me first while I was so unlovable in my sin and shame. He loved me with no conditions placed upon me. I learned as a new Christian that there was nothing that would separate me from God's love. Romans 8.31 and following says, If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. To separate, you know, means to disconnect, to detach, to break up, or to divide. Paul declares Christ's love for us, posing this question in Romans 8.35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? The fear of separation from God is impossible for those in Christ. If we are truly born again by the Spirit of God, we can know and experience Christ's boundless, unwavering love. That gives such security to the believer. That means there is no need to fear the past, the present, the future, because we are secure and protected in the love of Christ. I can remember being afraid of people finding out what I was really like before I trusted Christ. I was ashamed and embarrassed of my sin. I had been divorced as a young woman. It was very difficult. It was some of the hardest days of my life because he was very physically abusive and verbally abusive and at times mentally abusive. I was afraid I was going to die. Uh, sometimes I would have to lie to the doctor telling what was wrong with me because I was afraid that if I told the truth to the doctor, then I would end up being even more hurt, more abused. Soon after that, I, I got the courage to run away from that dreadful life, and I found myself in church and... That day, I trusted Christ as my Savior. I realized that I was not going to uh, make it on my own, and I needed someone that had a greater power than myself to help me. Now I realize that God loved me in spite of all my sin and shame. The following verses are so encouraging to me. John 10, 28 and 29. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Yea, I will 
never lose my salvation given to me through Christ. But we as believers can experience defeat, discouragement, or depression at times. God is concerned with the trials we face and what could cause us to give way to frustration or despair. I had a friend text me the other day and said that, said these exact words, please keep me in your prayers. Life is a bit dark these days. I texted back, are you sick? How can I pray? They said, I'm not sick, just battling severe depression. I'm worried about my friend, and I told them I would keep checking up on them, and they texted back, You being in my life brings me great joy. They promised to text me when they were struggling the most. All our suffering will one day be gone, and we will be with Christ in glory. The best is yet to come for us, and we are to anticipate his coming. What a wonderful hope we have in him, and that hope is that one day he will take us to heaven to live with him for all eternity. Knowing this should cause our hearts to rejoice, skip a beat, and praise the Lord, knowing victory is ours through Christ. He loved us enough to die in our place. We're his. Nothing can separate us from his everlasting love. What kind of love does the Bible show us that imitates a Christ-like love? I enjoy the little book of Ruth, but like the tale of two cities, it's during difficult times. It gives us a picture of the depths of love one is willing to express or show and what the true meaning of love is. Picture with me uh, the love story of Ruth unfolding before us. We find three women, Ruth, Orpah, and Naomi, traveling along the road toward Bethlehem. Their hearts are broken by death. I can imagine their faces. They are in in despair, and I'm sure they're afraid. Naomi stops them on their journey and lovingly reminds them of the reality of their devastated lives. She says to them that she has no more children for them to marry, and if she would have children, they'd be too young to marry anyway. They would be better off going home to their families than to continue with her and her bitterness. Orpah shows her love for Naomi and kisses her mother-in-law goodbye. Then she turns and walks back to her people and to her gods. Ruth cleaves to her mother-in-law, expressing words of love and devotion to to Naomi and to Naomi's God, Yahweh. She says to Naomi, and I paraphrase, Do not urge me to leave you or to turn back from following you. I want to go where you go and live where you live. I want your people to be my people and your God to be my God. Where you die, I want to die and be buried. May the Lord do to me and more, if anything but death parts you and me. Her words confirmed her devoted love for Naomi. But most importantly, they show Ruth's obvious conversion from worshiping the Moabite god Chemosh to serving the God of Israel. Chemosh was the national deity of the Moabites, whose name most likely meant destroyer subduer, 
or the fish god? Would you want to put your faith in a fish god or a destroyer or be under their control? I know I wouldn't. Have you ever wondered how God could save such a sinner as me or you as Roth, a Moabitess, or anyone in this fallen world? You will never understand the meaning of the cross or why Jesus had to die until you begin to appreciate the depth of love shown in his extreme sacrifice. He was willing to give his life for your eternal soul, an everlasting love that will not let you go. God's love is endless and certain. Again, Romans 8.35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? George Matheson, known for the hymn, O love that wilt not let me go, wrote this beloved hymn during great sorrow. As a young man, George was already experiencing poor eyesight, and in the years to follow, he would become blind. He was determined to finish his education and enrolled in the University of Glasgow, Scotland at 19. He studied Christian ministries, but during his graduate studies, he became permanently blind. To add to his saddened plight, his fiancée was unwilling to be married to a blind man and broke off their engagement, returning the ring. George never married because of this broken heart and severe pain of total rejection. His two sisters, who loved him dearly, stood beside him, learning Greek and Hebrew along with him to help his studies for the ministry. What love they showed their brother during the hardest days of his life. One of George's sisters uh, came to him with the joyous news of her plans to be married. He was elated for her, of course, but was reminded of his earlier heartache. He con consoled himself with the thoughts of Christ's love for him and was reminded that God's love is never conditional, never withdrawn, and never uncertain. Out of this painful experience, it is said George penned this great hymn. O love that wilt not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe, that in thine ocean depths its flow may richer, fuller be. O joy that seekest me through pain, I cannot close my heart to thee. I trace the rainbow through the rain and feel the promise is not vain that morn shall tearless be. We need not fear life or death, things present or things to come, because Jesus Christ's love for us has given us the victory. Nothing in life's path can separate us or remove us from God's powerful and magnificent love. I thank the Lord for his undeserving love towards me. But what does it mean for me to love God? John fourteen fifteen says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Jesus taught the disciples that no amount of obedience brings or causes the true source of love in their lives. Genuine love comes from the Father which is a gift of love. 
For by grace you have been saved through faith, not your own doing. It is the gift of God, Ephesians 2.8. If you believe that your obedience is the proof of your love for Christ and that your obedience will gain you the love of the Father, you're wrong. Your obedience does not secure for you the love of the Father. His love is a gift which comes from this supernatural gift of love that God has given you by faith. The value or worth you put on someone you love gives you a connection with that person and is the foundation of your relationship. God is your foundation. He's your creator, redeemer, provider, and friend. Christ is saying to you, receive me. Follow me, believe in me, trust in me, love one another, and rest in me. These are some of his commands. His commands are not burdensome. It's only when you try to (laughs) keep them perfectly that they are. Our focus is on our love for Christ as a truly remarkable gift because we, as fallen people, cannot obey God perfectly. Therefore, we rest in his endless love for us and obey because there is no God like you in heaven or on earth, found in 2 Chronicles 6.14. We've talked about what love is, but I'd like to discuss a little bit of what love is not in our last few minutes together. Love is not proud. 1 Corinthians 13.4-6 reads, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Pride, my friend, cannot exist or coexist with godly love. Christian love is not arrogant or focused on oneself, but is centered on others and on Christ. A prideful attitude casts a shadow of self-love on a person's character. But humility will learn to love others, only seeing someone else's needs. We are to be devoted to one another, showing the world the conviction and view of a loving Christian. Love is never boastful or puffed up because pride hurts people. Only by pride comes contention, Proverbs 13.10. All that pride ever does is breed strife and disharmony. Humble people give of themselves while caring for others' needs with a heart full of unconditional love. O Lord, help me to love others unconditionally and with a heart that is intent on loving Jesus, the lover of my soul. Thank you for listening today. Our goal here on Because of Grace is to point you to Christ, our only hope for salvation, and to rest in him and his extraordinary gift of eternal life. We need to trust that he has everything under control. Our theme verse comes from 2 Corinthians 12, 9, which says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses 
so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So until we meet again, may our Lord bless you as you serve him because of his amazing grace. Thank you for joining us for Because of Grace with Diana Carroll. We trust that through our study of God's word and his abundant grace, you've received hope and rest to your weary soul. For more information about Diana and her ministry, visit dianasdiary.com. That's dianas with two n's, diary.com. You can also revisit this broadcast via Spotify and check out Diana's two-minute devotional, Discovering Grace, as well. It's been a privilege being with you today, and until next time, rest in the goodness of God's grace. Because of Grace is a ministry of Diana Carroll and a production of Key Radio.